We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Okay, so we're up to episode four of Kings. Um, and so what we'll see within this chapter um, is the, it's kind of a, the wisdom chapter. Um, it's a chapter three. But before we did that, I'm going to just give a little recap of where, how we've got to here. And then uh, John will, will teach on that, on that chapter three. So if you remember, when we started this King series, we looked at creation all the way through to kings. So just to recap that, in the beginning, God created the world with the aim to show what he was like. You only know an artist is the greatest once they've started creating something. And so God wanted to fill the whole earth with his glory. So he created mankind and invited them into the relationship of the Trinity, and he gave them devolved power and authority to continue the role of creation and to rule on his behalf. But man decided to take the throne for themselves. They took the fruit from the tree that they were told not to, which wasn't just a greengrossing mistake. That was a choice to say, I want to be in charge rather than God. So we were created in his image to reflect what God was like. At that point, it shattered our ability to reflect his image properly. Things went downhill pretty fast. God had to wipe out all of creation with a flood, but then he started again uh, selecting one man. This man was called Abraham. And he said to him, through your offspring, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's intention was to model through Abraham and Abraham's family how he wanted to relate to us back like we did in the Garden of Eden. And he wanted to set this family up as an example of, of what we all could have if we chose to do it. So the Bible takes us through the story of Abraham's children, the Israelites. We see the story of them um, leaving Egypt where they'd been enslaved. We saw them having that, those 40 years in the wilderness. We see them under Joshua being led into the promised land that God had for them. We see the conquest of the promised land. Right up to the point where we've got an established king. And we have King David's that was on the throne, we reached the height of Israel's history at this point. By the time we get to Kings, we see David kind of coming to the end of his life. We see one of his sons, this is in chapter 1 of Kings, uh, Adonijah try and set himself up as, as the new king, but it wasn't the one that David uh, had anointed, that was Solomon. So we see David anointing Solomon, and we see Adonijah having to come kind of groveling to King Solomon, saying, okay, yeah, I recognize you're, you're the king. So there's a power struggle in that first chapter of Kings. In the second chapter of Kings, we get David's last kind of instructions to Solomon, and we see that he's given a, a hit list, and he takes out all these different people one, one at a time. 
This takes us to where we're up to now, which is Kings chapter 3. Good, that's better. It's always good when you can hear me. <laughs> All right. I want to kind of... I, I want to do better than Daniel with his good news. Yeah, I mean, it's nice he found his sunglasses, but I got one better than that. So... Fatima and Fikaret are in Albania. They have been doing uh, the, um, what's it called? Finding Solutions, yes, in Albanian and uh, still on Zoom. And so they invited us to join us last night for the final uh, session of this series. And, uh, you yeah, know, that, that was interesting. But I can't really take time to talk too much about that, other than to say that uh, we heard from Fatima that four people had committed their lives to Jesus at that time. So it's a very, very fruitful thing. So we're going, uh, we're coming on to the next section of Kings. I just want us to remember that it's interesting and useful to know <clears throat> the, the stories and the background. But the word of God is exactly that. It's God's word. And he speaks to us through his word. So what we're looking to really pick up is the background is good and interesting, but what is God saying to us in the here and now through going through the scripture, through going through these stories. That's what we want to pick up. All right, so Jeremy is going to be the reader this week. Um, where is he? Yes, he's very nice. He's not quite as beautiful as some of them that we've had, but... Uh, <laughs> A bit tall for me. Hello. <clears throat> so reading from 1 Kings 3, verses 1 to 3. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Hmm. Good, but not complete. <clears throat> it's a dilemma that comes out here, is that he was making 
wrong alliances. He made an alliance with Egypt. You remember earlier on, God had freed the children of Israel from Egypt. The fact of the matter is, we can deal with the world around us, but we cannot afford to become unequally yoked. This was what we might call a dodgy alliance. Uh, it's something that caused problems in the past and causes problems here. In Exodus 34, it says, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. So connecting, making alliance, is, is a very clear warning about what we do. The idea is to serve and be available to the world around about us, but not to kind of join in an alliance. It's a warning. In Nehemiah, was it not because of the marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Indeed, of course it was. Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. So taking foreign wives, the beginning of the end. <coughs> Yet the amazing thing is God is about to bless. See, we learn from that that God's blessing is not a sign of his approval on us. He approves us because he loves us and he set his love upon us. So we may be enjoying his blessing, but that doesn't determine that he's, his love is, is not determined by that. Equally, if you feel that you're not in blessing at a given time, it doesn't mean. It's not a sign of approval. Uh, blessing is not a sign of approval. So let's just have a little look at these uh, dodgy alliances. We talked recently about the gossiping lips and gossiping ears. An alliance where you're drawn into hearing about something or speaking into something out of an emotional connection or contact or some pressure that's applied upon us or compromising what you believe in order to fit in better. That may be to do with how we, can, how we treat ourselves when we're mixing with others. It may involve more drink than we would really think that was a good idea. It can be engaging in talk that, you know, really that's... It's, well, this is how it is. This is, this is how we are. But it's compromising what we really believe in order to fit in better. Here's a more subtle one. If we engage, and this is a dodgy alliance, if we engage in helping someone justify a thought which isn't God, maybe it's a thought of revenge or anger or jealousy, if we help them to take, kind of justify that, we're basically 
not being a faithful friend, we're certainly entering into a dodgy alliance. Opening a door, allowing influence. It's like this. We wouldn't think, oh no, we mustn't commit adultery. But where do we stand on what we read or watch? It's better not to make any alliance in any way that is compromising. Now let's look at this thing about the high places. Back in Genesis, there were some examples of key characters in worship to God on high places. Noah, Abraham. <clears throat> but with the introduction of the tabernacle, God wants to use the tabernacle. Yeah, but it used to be. But it's changed. We have to move with what God says and does. Very clearly stated in Deuteronomy 12.4 as the place. It superseded the old idea of sacrificing in the high places. These are the decrees. This is Deuteronomy 12. These are the decrees and laws you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord your God the God of your ancestors has given you to possess. As long as you live in the land, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. And it's complete. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones. You must not Worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. It's a very, a very direct, very precise. Do not have any involvement. We've moved on from there. That's why we can't live under the old covenant, under the laws. We've moved on from there because he places his law and his spirit in our hearts and we are to be led with that, not in, not in contradiction of his word. High place, honouring God at your convenience. That can be a high place. See here, we're not, not talking about physical places. We're talking about those sneaky things that would creep in. So what could a high place honouring God at my convenience be? Well, I attend many meetings, but realised I'm not worshipping him in my everyday life. You know, in my uh, Pentecostal background, it was all about meetings. We had seven on a Sunday. Sometimes you think, you know, a couple of hours is a bit long. But it was seven on a Sunday and then pretty much every night of the week. There was one night off, and I can't remember what it was. It wasn't about the attendance. It was about our heart towards God. Attending many meetings, but realise, actually, are we worshipping him in our everyday life? It's not just about attending meetings. It's about in our normal, everyday life. Are we showing God's attributes? Honouring God at my convenience. I rate a time of worship if I feel energised. 
yeah, dodgy one again. That means I'm worshipping him for what I get out of it. That would be a high place, not a good place. So what are the high places in our life? Do you know worship can also become an idol when it becomes more important than God himself? If I serve because what it looks like to others or what I get out of it, that is not worship. It's unified. It's not my preference, but this is what the family does. We come together. Next month we're going together on the holiday. We come together Sunday mornings. That's a pattern that was set in the early church. It's not an individualistic thing. It's not just me and God having a lovely time. But it's going from house to house, meeting together, encouraging each other. That's the pattern. That's the New Testament pattern. That's the pattern that he set for us, that we're not restricted to formal times. On the other hand, he says in Hebrews 10, don't forsake assembling. That means our households are coming together like this on a Sunday, the first Tuesday prayer, things like that. See, the kingdom was flourishing, but there was just this little issue of the high places. So what is worship? Isn't it incredible that we can worship? And it smells sweet to him. It's a sweet-smelling savour to him. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know, we don't get to choose how, where I worship. I might say, well, God sees my heart. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. He really does. We worship in giving, serving, joining together corporately, and definitely not engaging in in gossip, but speaking the truth in love, whether it's a little bit difficult to say, whether it's inconvenient to say, but if it's in love, and if it's with the care and interest of others around us, our friends and contacts, speaking the truth in love. Being willing to tell of the truth that Jesus is the only way to God. That is the greatest thing, the most important thing that we can ever actually say. <clears throat> but our lives have to back it up, otherwise it's like empty sounding words. Worship is saying no to me and yes to God. It's just amazing that we come together like today and we think we're just a bunch of people meeting in this school hall singing some songs. But we enter in and we can enter in and God accepts that our contribution, our engagement, if it's from the heart which is towards him, is a sweet-smelling savour unto him worship the opportunity to say no to me and yes to him 
most incredible thing. Wholeheartedness. Follow with your whole heart. That was something that was instructed to him. Solomon showed love, the love for the Lord by action. Uh-oh, except. Except the high places crept in there. You can't pick and choose because the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. <clears throat> so what is a divided heart? If I have two conflicting desires that I'm pursuing at the same time, what would you say are your priorities? I remember um, asking a friend many years ago uh, to help me. He was very good at sort of time management. <coughs> Excuse me. And he started off by saying, what are your priorities? And uh, so I, I gave him a list of what I thought were my priorities. Then he said, uh, can I just see your diary? He said, they're your priorities. The others are wishful thinking, but these are your priorities. They're the things you're actually doing. Determining our priorities. Divided heart. If I have two conflicting desires that I'm pursuing at the same time, what would you say your priorities are? What kind of bubbles to the surface when I ask that question? Are those priorities reflected in how you use your time and money and energy and thoughts? Or what company do you keep that's consistent with those priorities? If not, reflect, you probably might have a divided heart, reflecting on what you do. Here's one way. Would you be happy for Jesus to come with you wherever you were going, to listen in to your every conversation and to have a window on your attitude? God is very keen on wholeheartedness. So do you have a divided heart? David urged Solomon to be wholehearted. 1 Chronicles 28. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. We'll see that it was a divided heart that led to Solomon's downfall. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart towards other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of his David had been. Jesus urges wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness, I believe, is a journey. It's a position that we move from to the next stage. A commitment to him, a desire that there's nothing hidden. Lord, search me and know if there's any wrong thought, any way in me. That's a good prayer to pray. Sometimes we get caught up, Lord, give me this, Lord, bless me in that, Lord, provide this. But a very good prayer to pray is, Lord, search my heart. 
Because here's the good news. If God reveals something, he's also granted us the power to turn from that to actually be changed by his power. It's not just finding out how good or bad we are. So David urged Solomon to be wholehearted. Jesus urges wholeheartedness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Wow. Wow. I've got to try harder. I've got to make this thing. No. Do you know what the answer to that is? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And God, we make the decision and God gives us the power to actually live in that way. What do you do when you realise your heart is divided? Well, it's what we do whenever we come to the conclusion, wait a minute, we've gone wrong here. We confess, we own up to the fact. We, We repent, we turn from that thing. We say, I'm not going there anymore. And then we do what we cannot do. We ask God to change us from the inside. See, this is not a life of of striving and effort and uh, trying to get 10 out of 10. This is a life of recognising when God speaks and brings some development, some adjustment. And I put development first because we always think it's, uh uh-oh, I've done something wrong. But it could be there's something right that God has got for us to be engaged in. We recognise, yes, I want to this undivided heart. I want, Lord, what you've got. So we confess that we own up. We repent, change the way we think. We ask God to give us the undivided heart because we can't do it ourselves. God promises through Ezekiel that we can have a devoted heart. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. This is God's promise to us. All right, let's read on in the next passage, please, Jeremy. the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God said ask for whatever you want me to give you Gibeon oh dear oh dear oh dear the place of dodgy alliances you would have thought that he'd have learnt from the history of the children of Israel in dealing with the Gibeons place of compromise making oath with the enemy without inquiring God. And yet, God was planning and was blessing them. Again, we say, God's blessing is not the sign of approval. You see, even when we get it wrong, God doesn't condemn us. 
done it all wrong again. There's no hope for me. I'm, I'm just a miserable sinner. No way. Lord, I bogged up. I confess I don't want to go that way. Lord, help me. See, guys, if, if we think that we can change ourselves, I'm not talking about the external, I'm talking about the heart thing. If we think we can do that, we're bonkers. We don't have that ability. You think of some of the things that God requires of us. He requires us to forgive. We can choose to forgive, but it's the power of God that enables us to forgive. It's the same every time. We're depending on his power. Otherwise, we'd be having a kind of do-it-yourself uh, walk with God. I can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So compromise and Gibeon. And blessing is not the same as approval. Even when we get it wrong, God doesn't condemn us. Exuberant worship, lots of sacrifice, if he truly loved him, is a joy to give to him, not to begrudge. You know, I remember many years ago, um, back in the, the Pentecostal, uh, it was a big thing to do, uh, to volunteer to do what was called then Sunday school classes. It wasn't like the children's ministry we have now, but it was like telling them a story and uh, you know, keeping them quiet for a bit. And I observed that once you kind of, once you committed to that, it was like you were there forever. How did you get out of it, you know? And uh, in the end, I thought, yeah, I need to do that. And uh, it's an amazing thing that I wasn't there forever because God in his goodness gave me a new way, a new vision and to pioneer something that uh, not only started new, new Sunday schools but uh, children's, children's ministry in a significant way. It was a long time ago. I mean, teachers, you, you wouldn't really think about this but there was me and one and a half assistants and we used to have a hundred kids together and not just sit there and be quiet and listen it was an engaged time and uh, I'm sure I got up to things that you would call bribery and corruption but it was good fun so question Well, if God said that to you, ask for anything you want. Do you know, I think at that point, tread very carefully. Restrict yourself. Because the great danger is, well, you know, I'd like that, that five-bedroom house with its own pool and uh, a Lamborghini would be handy for going to Tesco's. I wouldn't need to go to Tesco's. I would have delivery of food from even more important places than Tesco. But I mustn't advertise, so... Uh, <coughs> my mind would go along that way. 
What would you ask for? Um, hmm, more hair? Good looks? Well, it would be asking for the impossible, wouldn't it? No. The danger is it would be my choice. And the better choice is not what you can get from the genie out of the bottle. But Lord, what would you give me? A loving father who knows what's best and has the will and ability to bring it about. Not about self-projection <coughs> or provision. Solomon, ask for whatever you want. And he was guided. God's got an answer to that question. Perhaps he wants to talk about something else. What he wants for me is better than what I want for me. Let me say that again. What he wants for me, what he's got for me, is better than anything I can dream up and want for me. Now, it may be that what I want coincides with him, but it only happens when I say, Lord, what's on your mind? What's on your will? What's your purpose? Sometimes when we feel God's not answering my question, it's perhaps he wants to talk about something else. What he wants for me is better than what I want for me. If all you want is a spiritual coin toss to help you make a decision, you aren't following wholeheartedly. You want what he wants is the best test. What do you want? <clears throat> Humility in response, he knows better. And the example that Ezekiel made when God asked him the question, can these bones live? His answer was, you know, Lord. Jeremy. <clears throat> Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, my Lord God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? It's great, great humility shown in that response. It's not puffed up by the title or the ceremony. <coughs> Excuse me. A servant with duties, a child, not knowing how to act, remembering God's kindness. God had put him on the throne. Great people, the quality and love for those he serves, an attitude that was pleasing to God. 
I wonder if this is how we think uh, teachers, when you go into your class, do you think, oh, great kids. Or when you go into the office, these are great people. See, there's an attitude that we can have, there's an attitude that God can have. God's attitude is really coloured by the fact that he gave his only son that they might come to know him. He sees being king is about being bigger than himself. And the story started before him and will continue after him. Is part of a great work. God gives us things beyond our ability so we rely on him. I might be able to do a task in my ability, but I want to do it to his ability, to know God's heart for a person, even though they can be very difficult. To be humble, listening to advice of those who loved and were mature in faith. David actually had planted this very idea for Solomon to seek discretion and understanding from the Lord in 1 Chronicles 22. David had planted something in his heart. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to just tell you, I've talked about this before, but my grandfather was a very faithful humble man he pastored a church but he spent his time reaching out and serving people outside of any service thing very humble very unassuming and uh, loved to serve I didn't really appreciate that because I was looking for something that would be much more impactful and much more visible uh, a much bigger ministry and my sights were set on that but sometime later I suddenly realised I was learning something and seeing something modelled there that was actually much closer to God's heart than what I was looking for something that really reflected God's heart in a very special way and we stand here today and the things we do and the things we're involved in are substantially influenced by that change of heart that I got from my grandfather's example. Sharing life, reaching into the community, moving away from that idea and focus that we had in the past. Isn't it amazing how the very thing that God's trying to show you is right under your nose and you don't see it because your sight is set in a different direction. But God in his mercy, God in his grace, actually brings us to what he's got for us, something far more akin to his will and to his purpose than we would ever be. Sightedness, wisdom, discernment, a discerning heart, distinguishing between right and wrong. Lord, help us to see it as you see it. Jacob had surely said, surely the Lord was here the whole time and I wasn't aware. 
Jacob was on the run, not a holy place. God was there all the time. I remember one of the <clears throat> the fathers of the faith that uh, had great influence on the kind of things we're doing today um, and the other churches that have established as a community across the nation and elsewhere. And he used to talk to the senior apostolic guys. One of the things he said was, brethren, we need to know God's mind and his moment. If we think we know his mind, just rush off and do it. We haven't waited to catch, catch his moment, to know his mind and his moment. Very, very important. Learning, how do we decide if you go away for university or not? Consider, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? Lord, who do you want me to reach out to today? Lord, is there someone that you want me to hold before you in prayer today? Lord, is there someone I can be a blessing to? How do you decide if you go to one thing or another? The safest way is, Lord, here am I. What have you got? Lord, what adjustment have you got? What direction of change have you got? So we come on. Solomon describes why he wants wisdom. He wants it to administer justice. Show God's love for the oppressed. Basically, it's putting God's attributes on display. The Bible calls it glorifying God, putting his attributes on display. Blessing is being resourced to do what God wants of you. You know, if you ask for a fast car, that's really only a blessing if God wants you to get from A to B more quickly. Solomon wants the resource to fulfill his purpose. That is to glorify God and put his attributes on display. He's not seeking for self-indulgence. I wonder what your wish list is dominated with. What do you need to glorify God or self-indulgence? Sometimes God has to bring in a change of course and direction. I was engaged to be married and all of a sudden the fiancé just broke it off. I was very, very intense in seeking God for that matter to be resolved so that we could continue. I mean, I sought God like I'd never sought God before, praying like I'd never prayed before, and I never got it. It never happened. Because God has something else in mind. What he had in mind was a change of direction of my life. What he had in mind was something far better. What he had in mind was part of the involvement in extending his kingdom, a much higher thing. And he also had in mind a perfect wife. <laughs> I had to say that bit. Okay. We've run out of time.
Okay. All right. Seeking God's mind, knowing his way, gaining his favour. There's another little bit, but we, time's gone, so I think we have to, to leave that there. Um, but let's just take a moment to pray. Lord, our purpose as we study this book of Kings is to hear not only the information and the history, but more particularly what you're saying to us. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us about our wholeheartedness, about a divided heart. Lord, that you would apply it to us personally and grant us your grace, Lord, to, to accept and to respond and to enter into the fullness of what you've got for us at this time. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.